Hi, I'm Broken Mirrors, bassist for health and former editor-in-chief of the Doctor Who Wiki. You know, we like to have a good time here on the Who Cares Tripcast, but this week we have a very important topic to discuss. Who Cares has been sponsored this week by Wigs for Chibs. Wigs for Chibs is a non-profit that provides much-needed wigs, rugs, toupees, and merkins to follically impoverished showrunners and alopecia-ridden ball bags across the globe. For a small kino tax of just one special per year, less than the cost of a series of Sherlock, you too can help keep hair on the head of vulnerable writers like Christopher here during cold, lonely hiatuses. Christopher had his own wig. Constructed by the costuming department of the BBC from the remains of Jimmy Savile. But it was violently removed from his scalp by an enraged fan of a children's TV show who discovered that its next mediocre series wouldn't air for over a year. Half his scalp was detached in the process. He most definitely did deserve it. But what about poor Matthew, victim of his own genetics? Or the tragic case of Mr. Cavill happening right before our eyes. If you have a heart, or at least a line of credit, please DM your payment details to at wigsforchibs on twitter.com. Don't let baldness be our future. Thanks for listening, and enjoy your regularly scheduled podcast. Could have been a lot better. It could have been slightly better written. It was also very cliched. It was very routine running up and down corridors and silly monsters. Um, but I still felt that that story was fairly um, boring. It's a recruiting video for us to go, that's all this year is. Pillar of hope, we need a pillar of hope in these times and that pillar of hope is Jodie Whittaker. We hope that it sits alongside all the brilliant shows that are out there, all the great Netflix shows and Hulu shows and HBO shows and Amazon shows. You don't even have to watch it in order. I think what you'll, what you'll find is it's the doctor you've known and loved with just uh, um, uh, a fresh take, really. It's the, the thread is still there. I suppose you'll be blaming this on the dyspraxia as well. Pay the price or pay the price. James Blake. Amazing what you've learned from the sidewalk. That's what she called Not this place. I eat danger for breakfast. I don't. I prefer The thing really. about grief is it needs time. Oh, quite like a posh version of my uniform. Fine Portuguese. Late no. Time. Guns never use them. Because love is a form of hope. Hope. And like hope, Rage. love abides. Like me. I'm my generation. I'm I'm change things. The systems aren't the problem. How people use and exploit no the more systems. Witches. That's the problem. Oh, no. People not like you. Bodies possessed by aliens. Feel that security system kicking back in. Sucking every part of itself back. Science, engineering, can be.
Our reality cannot work like that. Why does that make music? The ideas of the universe just get ruined. How to create a complete world? Travel hopefully. ourselves so hello i'm in giga someone else go hi i'm hunter hi i'm, no uh, I'm scaly fucked <laughs> 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 it up already guys perfect that's it that's it. Um, we're using that okay has everyone gone oh yeah somewhere much. in there okay <laughs> Let's start talking about Doctor Who. We have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, this might polarize some of you. Which is better slash worse? Battle of Ranskorav Kolos or The Wedding of Riversong? Uh, the Wedding of Riversong, oh. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely The Wedding. Ranskorav Kolos is worse. Well, let me yeah, rephrase I, that. I think the Wedding is wedding much is more entertaining. I'll yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Wedding has uh, probably the best uh, cold open in the entire series. And Ranskarav Kolos is just kind of bland and it, mediocre. Yeah, it was, it was... And it didn't make sense either. I actually uh, wrote down a list of things that made absolutely no sense while I was watching it, because it... Oh, I did that as well. Oh, no way. Yeah, there's too many things. I had to write it down. Great lines. Yeah. <laughs> I was... I'm actually gonna stick my neck out and say... I gave Grand Score just a little bit more points, only because in this case, at least the plot kind of made sense versus Wedding of River Song, where it was a giant jumble. But I did think Wedding of River Song was a little more entertaining. That's just because I like Moss. So I guess the question is, like, what's different about Chibnall's approach to the finale of a, of a season compared to Chibnall's yeah. Moffat's? So I find it more like the classic series, uh, where yeah. it's like it's not a big deal when a series ends. Just make it really. I don't think the series finale always needs to be a big thing. Um, if, if if you can justify it being a smaller episode, I think that's fine. But um, it, this was just lackluster on so many fronts. See, I, I think the interesting thing is that, like, even though it kind of feels like that. I think Chibnall actually was trying to make this a big event to some extent. Yeah. So if you think about like I can believe that. Yeah. the arcs of Ryan and Graham, like Ryan was kind of resolved last week, but now that became relevant this week. And this week was really about like Graham um, getting over his grief, basically. But also in like just a general the stakes are high kind of thing, Chibnall made Earth like a threat, like under threat for some reason, even though it didn't really have any consequences because this was this was the year uh what was it 5425 so we have no kind of reference point to what is earth is like right now yeah it is because it says at the start it does a time skip of uh what was it 3407 yeah but yeah was that the, was the start set at the same time as the first episode well, it was started when uh, Toothboy got teleported away, and yeah, unless that was the teleport uh, time travel. So we've got Earth at the year five thousand whatever, and like that—that's the only kind of reference point that the audience is meant to have to think, "Oh no, it's the Earth under attack." But you know, who, who cares? Oh, the time agency would have fixed it. Because like, since it was the year five thousand, that was probably part of why Jindal didn't even bother with like 
shots of people because normally first under attack you see like um random civilians because then the audience can like project themselves onto oh this bad thing's happening to someone just like me but yeah newsreels yeah all of that sort of stuff but we didn't get any of that because it's the year 5000 and he just didn't want to bother with what earth is like at that time um i think actually this episode would have been helped if there was a pre-credit sequence with that before the time skip and then having the title switch over to the um be the time skip so that when you jump forward you didn't have to have the time card i found that a little weird yeah um and then the, the second thing was i found the episode actually at least in the art style was set up a lot like broad church where every all the clues that you needed were thrown in the first few episodes and then all the other stuff was just kind of ignored from like the last the last chunk Mm, maybe yeah i guess the other thing is that it was only really oh oh i'll go um, well, what I kind of noticed was that it was only really Chibnall's episodes that were relevant to this finale. He didn't really care about, I mean, besides Ryan's um, whatever in last week, but, you know, that was kind of him saying to put it, this is the episode that ha- that has to happen so that my episode can be about stuff. So, like, the, the only things that returned were things from Chibnall's episodes. Yeah. Specifically well, one and two, thing. right? Yeah, exactly. So after that, it's he really- just kind of... Yeah, it's really like this is part three of a three-parter. It's not even really a series finale. That's true, because there were like multiple references to Ghost Monument. It wasn't just the sniper bots. There's also got 13 saying at the end. What was it? Monument. I have a... You, you, you might may have, have a shrine. We have a Hulk. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> is that going to be a thing now? The Doctor just calls the TARDIS a ghost monument in casual conversations. God, I hope not. Probably in her last episode, they'll bring it back, just for the memories. <laughs> I, I did have uh, some uh, notes that I wanted to run past. Um, Go for it. Okay, so, first of all, they're loyal, like, subservient to this obviously false god of uh, Tim Shaw. They're going to destroy a planet for something called the Creator, which makes no sense. Because it's the creator, it's not the destroyer. And this happened all in 3,000 years. 3,000 years. Don't you think they would have, like, noticed something odd in that time? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And they and did then, have the non-believer character. That's a good point. <laughs> and then within, like, five minutes. In five, five minutes, they, they changed their minds. It's who by numbers. Mm. Yeah. Exactly I think, how, you know, three thousand like, years versus five minutes—it doesn't make any sense. The arcs are just ridiculous. Yeah, I think Chibnall, Chibnall really just wanted to write a story about like some kind of religious group that had a false uh, god like take over their religion, and like that was his. I don't know why he did three thousand years because like it's such a big number, and that just kind of causes a lot of problems. Like, we don't care about Earth anymore, and Yasmin, I guess, doesn't even realize it's. 5,000 or whatever, because when she talks about that dilemma between do we potentially kill the Ux or do we save the Earth, she mentions 7 billion people, but this is the year 5,000 whatever. Probably not 7, 7 billion people. Yeah. Probably a bit more than that. A little bit. Yeah. 
Well, no, around this time, Earth is still being repopulated after the solar flares. Oh, yeah, because of, like, um, uh, the Ark or whatever. Yeah, yeah. In the script, Chibnall notes that the Ux have a lifespan of millennia, just so the costume department don't have to make any changes to how they appear <laughs> after the 3,407-year time skip. <laughs> Although, to be fair, if you, if you set up two people to build an entire civilization of technology, it would probably take about 3,000 years. Yeah. Depends how good their magic powers are. Mm. The thing is... Uh, this dilemma with the um, uh, the population of Earth, I think it was five thousand, five hundred thousand or so. They still had like ten billion or so uh, located on Earth uh, in by the year five hundred thousand because of the um, uh, the two parter at the end of series one, I think. And a hundred years later, they had zero. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, all they felt was a warm red glow over them for about two minutes in this episode, so I'm sure no matter how many people were on Earth, none of them cared. Yeah. Yeah, they probably just figured out it's another solar flare. The stakes have never been lower. (laughs) Uh, It's really, I mean, that's the episode in a nutshell. It's not, I said this a couple times in the stream, it's not terrible as like 50 minutes of television. Like, as part three of a three-parter, it's fine. As a three-parter, it doesn't have as many high points as, um, you know, the Monk trilogy, but on average, I would say it's probably about as good, if not better. It's just that, as a series arc, it kinda... fairly boring. Yeah, boring. Could've been slightly better written. I, um... I personally really loathed the fact that they seem to be giving mixed messages uh, in terms of uh, uh, theology and all that. I mean, for one, the bad guys were this religious order, and they weren't really fringe because they mentioned that all the other Ux believed they had some power to see the creator. Wait, did they? Because I thought that... I thought it was that there's only two Ucks. Really? Yeah, there's, only, there's only two at a time, but they yeah. also live on three planets. So How does that work? What? Yeah, exactly. That's, I, I don't know. Ask, ask Jim now. He's the one who wrote it? What more could you want? I thought it was only two Ucks could um, see uh, the creator or Tim Shaw. I thought it was that. I... I wasn't. Okay, I've got, I've got, I've got the quote here. Uh, Thirteen men calls them the dual species, only ever two at a time, and they live for millennia, and they're only found on three planets in the whole universe. That's how she described them to us as exposition. That doesn't make any sense. Because yeah. they definitely seem to be reacting. Well, maybe it's like the, there's only two physical bodies and the rest of the Ux live in, like, their minds. I mean, I'm kind of reaching here because the script is leaving a, leaving us without anything to do, but... Oh, no know, way, like with no the way. doctor being like, able to have, you know, all the past doctors inside her mind, maybe it's like that, except it's with the whole species. 
Yeah, like she could be recalling like the entire history of whenever she read about the Ux, and then over that course of time, they had lived on three planets. Like th there are explanations fair. you can make up to defend what Chibnall's written. Yeah, but you're just making up. You're just making up explanations at that point. Oh, absolutely, that's all I'm doing. Mm -hmm. That's all the series. Yeah. That's all we got left. While we're on that note, I wonder if it'd be possible to make up an explanation for the Ux's actions in this episode. And we've already noted that they lose their faith incredibly easily, but also the fact that they've basically helped commit planetary genocide. And this is never really addressed. Like, And the whole episode tries to be about their character arc a little bit, but this is just, there's this huge gaping hole in it, I think. What do you guys think? Maybe they're just really, really, really stupid. It's, it's, well, I don't know, it's kind of like the brainwashing argument, except there's no brainwashing involved, it's just their own kind of faith yeah. being manipulated. Also, those people didn't die, it's not really genocide, well, no, legally I suppose it's genocide if you relocate. The people on the planets get presumably squished or something when the planets got compressed. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely forgot about that. I don't think that was really established, it seemed like they were still... I mean, the doctor. Do, the doctor does flat out say out. planetary genocide. Those are her words. I know she's yes, consistent. The UN defines genocide in such a way that includes the forcible relocation of a group or population of people. So I guess. So yeah, like in I, those crystals. Yeah. I'd still so, question how well they'd be able to survive inside that stasis field. So the crystals are really more like reservations. Okay, if you want to talk about morality, what about what Thirteen <laughs> said a bit earlier when they were just about to go onto the shrine and then she pulls out like a bag of weapons and then Ryan says, what happened to never do weapons? And then her response is, it's a flexible creed. Doors, locks, walls, buildings, fair game. If it can be rebuilt, I'll allow it. And then Ryan's like, no, no, you stopped me trying to shoot the sniper bots before. Side note, that's how they like remind us that sniper bots exist before they show up later. Mm. That was... Um, yeah, and then 13's response to that was, you were new. I have to lay down the rules if someone's new. Also, don't quote that back to me. My rules change all the time. What do you think about that? I was fine with that, actually. Basically, excusing lazy writing, I think. Yeah. I actually really find that the antithesis of what the Doctor's character has always been. I always see the Doctor as having a strict moral code Especially in the third Doctor Zero, which coincidentally is my favorite. Um, I just find it rather... It's not different, it's just not the Doctor. Not the Doctor the way I see uh, them. I, it's just... It's not really... The way I, I see Free sometimes is that he, he doesn't revel in any of these things. If he's doing... Something. It's like in Day of the Daleks, he kills quite a few Ogrons in that. It's not done to be superior or to be right, it's done for simply survival. And I think that's when it's not excusable, but it's more, you can sort of bend either way on it. Yeah, I mean, in the 80s era, he shot Cybermen in the attack of the Cybermen just point blank. And, you know... It... Yeah, well, last year he did the same thing. But he didn't do it to kill them. He did it to survive, and he did it because he's caught in a tough situation, and he's sort of faced with this. Um, if I don't do this, I'm going to die, so sorry, it's you or me. And the other thing is, is that when I, when I heard Thirteen say that line, I don't think it was necessarily that she was being 
critical. I think it was more that, hey, that was the rule then because you were dumb and stupid. People yeah. are going to take revenge on you for shooting other people. You know? If, you're, if we're going by that, then it would basically, if I'm understanding this right, be my way or the highway, basically. When I say yeah. that, when yeah. I say that, I mean like you as the doctor only care about your rules if they affect someone else. Seems about right. Well, I mean, that's basically what she says to Graham when Graham says, I'm going to kill this guy and that means I'm going to leave and I recognize that and I'm going to accept that. Like, that that's essentially the situation. It's, it's, it's her way or the highway. And then he takes her way for some reason. It's much of that incredible lack of hierarchy Chibnall was talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a very flat team structure. Some are just flatter than others. I was quite surprised when, or not quite surprised. I was fairly surprised when Graham said, "I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna kill him when I see him." Because if they'd have mentioned that, that he's still got this anger for at least in part of the series before now, it'd be a little bit more believable. But I think his reaction is slightly justified. I, I think. I think that the grief manages to work in that respect. Grief is supposedly just anger turned inwards. And it kept the whole Grace's tragic fridging thing alive this whole time. And it takes you away this time. Go ahead. Yeah. And and I actually uh I really did like the scene at the start of the scene where he explains that, you know, when we see him I'm gonna kill him. Uh, specifically, I loved his his delivery of it. His um, he's very matter of fact. He's, he's yeah, not, yeah. not getting emotional. He's like, I, I'm just going to kill him. You, you know, I'm yeah. going to kill him. Yeah, I thought that was really well done. I don't really totally enjoy how that arc played out, obviously, mm. or indeed how that scene played out. But especially whoever it was that pointed out that. What he does instead is literally exactly the same thing that Tim Shaw does to people, which is put him in stasis forever. That was nasty. The same thing. They even say they're giving him a taste of his own medicine. That's what they say. Yeah. Why was he doing yeah. that? I can't she remember. She said you'll be just like him, and look what happened. What I understood was basically Tim Shaw is completely he's completely incompetent. I find him to be the dumbest villain, and that includes Syl. <laughs> I think Syl might be a metaphor for something. I'm not quite sure what. Okay, sorry. Uh, what? Villains are often metaphors or something. Syl might be a metaphor for something. I don't know what though. Greed. I mean, it's kind of obvious with Tim Shaw. That is. He's. M I I'm just finding every little bit of this three-parter, it just feels so underwhelming. Mm -hmm. I I cannot explain. I, I mean, I was watching this with my dad. He's a big Doctor Who fan. And basically, we were just sitting there and we were like, what just aired? I can't, we couldn't remember. It was so forgettable. I think that um, one of the only things that uh, Tim Shaw has going for him is that his voice sounds kind of good, I think. Yeah. It's got that like, weird, wavy, modulating tone to it, and it sounds it, alien. I actually like his armor, too. It sounds like he's talking through a speaker, even when his helmet's off. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds exactly, I think it sounds quite similar. 
So, you know, that's iconic. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the usual uh, sort of whispering, rasping thing that a lot yeah. of Doctor Who villains do. And so far as I remember, he never says Doctor. No. Um, I know for his facial design, they're obviously trying to go for like a, a gross factor, so he's got teeth in his face. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that he's if they were trying to go for that, they it, that's quite a good idea, I think. Having such a... Yeah, it's. I think it's quite good having a gross factor into a design if it's very specific, but I think that the application of the teeth doesn't look so great. Um, they just they just little, little white blemishes on his face. As yeah. He toned it down in this episode too, though, which was nice, but also killed the purpose. Um, yeah, well, I, I think it was because when we see like the DNA bomb go off, it's like his skin is melting. So the Ux have some kind of magical power to like heal him and keep him alive, but like some of his face melted off and he lost yeah, some of his teeth. Damage. I think that's the idea behind that. I didn't see that. You know what might actually be really good is. Um, uh, if, like, not that I think this is likely to happen, if, like, 20 or 30 years down the line, somebody brings back the stenza for, like, a two-parter in whatever form Doctor Who may or may not take at that point, and we'll have, like, a new, sort of, redesigned, grosser, weirder stenza, like how we got the redesigned more expressive um, Silurians or uh, any other reimagined classic monster you care to mention. Yeah, they can stick something else on their face at that time. Another thing that I noticed about the stanza is that the fact that they have these teeth in his face, they're all, they all seem to be like the same sort of teeth. There's no slightly sharper teeth, there's no slightly like rounder teeth, no square teeth, no alien teeth. Yeah, like they're all human teeth. Yeah. Do they, do they just hunt Earth and planets that have like human people, human looking people. Yeah, it was a little weird on that whole. If it want, if it truly wants to make it look like it's, um, it's got all these teeth from different planets. Surely it makes sense to have ones that look completely different. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that would be more interesting, but that's not relatable to like non Doctor Who people. Like if they can see human teeth, it's like I know what that is. That's I know him. they wouldn't have gotten away with it, but I would have liked to yeah. have seen him. No, put you're totally right. Teeth into his face. Almost, because there's no, you never I'll see just, like the, stab it into his yeah. mouth. Or you never, you only, you never actually see him put the teeth he takes from people in episode one. Yeah, that'd be really place. good. And uh, they wouldn't get away with it, but um, yeah, like how do they even stick on? Like all those scenes of predators, uh, you know, polishing the skulls. And stuff. Yeah, I think they wouldn't have got away with it at the time it was being aired. Question: Did we see Tim Shaw's actual teeth? At all? No, they were like, like black. black. Yeah, yeah, they're like yeah, yes, they're black and like they're kind of like super jaggy. Like he, he either has Doctor a lot or like they're really kind of indented. They're, they're like oh, yeah, they're not just that. human teeth. Kind of like a whale's tooth or something. I think what maybe they're trying to go for is that uh, Tim Shaw's preferred hunting ground is Earth, because there was like that guy's sister. I thought for sure was going to be in one of the pods in this episode, but whatever. Uh, maybe it's just like other Stenza hunt other planets, and Tim Shaw is chosen or assigned 
planet is Earth. For whatever so reason. maybe in Series 12's finale, when we get even more Stenza coming on, there'll be a Stenza with lots of really long, sharp teeth sticking out of his face, or one with really lots That'd of really so large, cooler. flat ones. Like, I like the idea of variety in teeth types. That'd be fun. <laughs> or straight up Dalek stocks. I'm just looking at a picture of him now. He does sort of have um, larger teeth, but they're not sticking outwards. They're like sticking sideways. Yeah, I think they're just molars. Yeah. Bigger molars. No, I was I going to um, elaborate on what I was saying before. Like I said, the 3000 number really makes it seem extremely unlikely that he would basically lose immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like He was quite a pushover. Yeah, he, <laughs> I, maybe he's planning something else, but I really doubt that. Well, yes. I mean, like, one question is, why hadn't he taken Earth yet? Like, yeah. was he just hoping that the Doctor would show up one day so he could do it in front of her? Why was that not number one? Because he mentioned that, like, his goal now was, like, to capture every planet that's, like, wrongs the Stenza race. And, like, he's just taking that role on himself. So there were other planets that he had as targets. But, yeah. like, he, he mentions to 13 that, like, his motive is revenge on her. So, wouldn't Earth kind of be, like, priority number one? You would think. You'd hope so. He's got those little crystals with the planets in them. That's one he's already taken, right? Yeah. Um, it, one of the interesting things of this was when he was putting the planets, when she was putting the planets back, didn't we only see one planet actually getting put back, becoming a planet? Or am I wrong? They, they did a lot of really quick cuts of the crystals being teleported back, but they didn't waste our time showing every single planet. Yeah, they only showed one planet, and if they were gonna, if they weren't gonna show any planets at all, just put having the crystals put back. Why would they show that one planet, especially? I was fine with that. I don't know, just to establish to people who can't figure it out themselves, I guess. It's just yeah, it's just an establishing shot. Yeah, I, I saw a, tw um, a tweet on uh, Twitter, obviously, of um someone saying, well, why was it this one planet put back? And people seem to think, oh, it's quite a reddish tint to it, so they're thinking, oh, it might be Scar or something. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that might be oh, no, tie into Resolution at some point, which, to be honest... Get out. Have we addressed yet the fact that the, the hugely significant anagram turned out to be nothing? Um, that was what surprising. Was that? The Scaro Volan Scaro. <laughs> nah, that's just Chibnall. He, he picks consonants that sound alien. I'm alright getting chib fucked like that, that's alright. Look at all this desolation outside. And sometimes he also just steals from Gasus and changes the words a bit. So you have the Stenza with the Tenza. And then the, the, the male ox in this one was called Delph. Yeah. And Gasus has the Gelf. Good spot. Oh yeah. I think you're reaching there. And there's the Spencer and the Tenza as well. Exactly. I, I don't think it was the Gelf in this case. I think it was just a reference to Greece, the Oracle at Delphi. Same, yeah. Maybe, I, yeah. I feel like Andy Neo feels like it's reaching for something too. I can't quite, I can't quite grasp it in my head right now because I'm running on two hours of sleep and several milligrams of oxycodone, but <laughs> it, it felt like there was like they're going for sort of an uh, oracular thing with, uh, with the ox. What about Umsang? 
stupid fucking name. I hate it so much. Just who are Umsang and Epso? Pal Tracky. The way he um, delivers the line, he says, her name was Umsang. It's like, well, okay, I was expecting a little bit more than that. It's like, oh, I have, I've never seen this person before. Why am I meant to feel this? It sounded like he was making it up off the top of his head. Yeah, he's like, her name's what? Um, Flibbit um, or something. Umsang, there you go. Umsang. Yeah. I mean, his whole memory loss plot device was just so he could deliver exposition at the correct times, so... Yeah. God, that got me so mad. I thought for sure that he was gonna, you know, remember part... Like, towards the end, he's gonna remember, Oh, right, I'm evil! And then, you know, turn on them. Like, happened several times in Moffat Who. And clearly that's not what ended up happening. It, I, had, I thought the exact same thing about uh, Angstrom back in the day. Because it seemed like she was sort of putting on an act and was going to turn out to be evil at the end, but, you know. Remember Angstrom and Epso? Those were the days. No. <laughs> <laughs> but who were they? Yeah. They were, they, they were just people. I remember Desolation looking pretty familiar after this episode. Ah, yes. Yeah, that was weird. They had all these conjoining elements, but they just didn't go... Uh, we didn't... We thought they'd go from, but... Um, I guess we can... Can we give him a little bit of um, credit for not relying on something really simple like that? No. That's fair no. enough. That's all right. No. Because instead of doing something simple but interesting, he did nothing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's one thing to avoid the most obvious twist, but to have no twist at all is kind of, uh, kind of dreary. Which, again, describes this episode perfectly. Kind of dreary. This series perfectly. Speaking of um, Desolation and Ranskorov Kolos, so we've got two separate planets that just happen to be barren wastelands, and that reminds me of a bigger trend in this series, which is that so many of the locations have been a bit sparse and unpopulated. Like, they haven't, these stories haven't really been bursting with characters. Does anyone else feel that? What the fucking fan It's because he wants the huge vistas. Just, I would say just Chibnall's episodes, because, uh, and to an extent, Kerblam, because the rest of them, yeah. okay, and I guess it takes you away by nature of where it's set. But like Rosa and um, uh, Saranga and uh, uh, Witchfinders are all pretty... They feel very populated. I would have it's, not said that um, Saranga was populated. I would have said that was quite sparse. But there yeah, were the sizable parts, I guess. Yeah, I, yeah. It, was, it felt like, like a bunch of people crowded into three rooms. Saranga's problem is more that the characters that are there are completely forgettable than that there are yeah. characters. Oh yes, 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 yes. It, it feels like, so I, I know we're not talking about Saranga, but it feels like it's going back to like the uh, the base of the siege Troughton era. Yeah. But it forgets what makes those stories good, or in my opinion anyway. And it just sort of goes, um, we're going to do the whole six parts in 50 minutes, um, get ready for the excitement, and then the excitement actually never happens. So it's just really mediocre and shit. Yeah. Like a lot of this series, actually. My um, my main thing about this, like my main complaint, is that it felt short, even though it was five minutes longer. This entire season felt way too short, even though every episode was longer than usual. It's because so little happens. It's padding, I think. It's funny. I kind of felt the opposite. Like when I was watching this one. And I kind of felt like, oh, I've been watching it for a while, so I paused it to see where I'm at. I'm at like 25 minutes, and I'm only halfway. 
I think that's a really bad indicator when you actually have to pause a story to go, actually, what point am I at? Am I, do I really yeah. need to watch the rest of this? I've not done that through... I didn't do it throughout most of cl- Classic. I didn't do it through RTD to Moffat. And I found myself doing it quite a lot this series. Yeah. And I, I don't want to be negative about it because I, I want to enjoy these things. But it, I, I, I did that when we were watching Ranska in the stream. And... I just thought it's dragging quite badly and it's been like 20 minutes already and nothing is actually they've arrived and they found Tim Shaw obviously but nothing like important has happened it's meant to be a finale so you feel like something's meant to happen that's like not cataclysmic but somewhat seismic yeah there's an aggressive amount of nothing in this episode like they crossed that whole wasteland that looks a bit like the death zone from the five doctors but there's no death in this zone they just walk across an empty yeah. you know waste waste for a bit it's the mediocre zone do you remember when they started promoting this episode in all like the descriptions they would like say that this was a deadly adventure oh god yeah <laughs> deadly reckoning oh my god i forgot about that literally false advertising what more could you want the only person who dies is like Umsang. What was it? Umsang. The Asian child. She dies. That's the only person who dies in the story, apart from the robots, but you can argue if they're real or not. Like, alive. God. I think it's just a cynical attempt to make us think that Graham might die for about two seconds, <laughs> even though we all know he's in the special. If he dies in resolution, I'm gonna be really fucking pissed off. I don't care about any other character in this series apart from Graham. Sorry, not sorry. We know, Nilsa. I know. <laughs> What about um okay here's here's a little bit of a controversial one what about um faz or whatever it's called phasmin i think well i yeah yeah the 13 and yaz basically yeah i don't oh oh uh, yeah fine go for it i don't like, care i think that a lot of the stories tend to pair them together because Graham and Ryan have like an arc to deal with. Mm. So Yaz just doesn't have anything to do. So she kind of sticks with the doctor. Mm-hmm. And in but terms of like thing. dynamic between them, it doesn't seem like particularly, it just seems like doctor companion without much uh, emotion involved. That's how yeah, I see but it. The very, very few emotional beats we get between Yaz and the doctor have been glowingly, you know, full of admiration, and it's very easy to read that, you know, in a queer sense because we're desperate for any kind of emotional... Any kind uh, of lesbians that don't die straight away? Well, that too, but I was (laughs) going to say any kind of emotional background to the Doctor and Yaz, because it's really just Graham and Ryan pulling the slack for emotional arcs for the companions this season. Yeah, like, if you think about where Yaz and where 13 were at the start of the series and where they are now, like, no- nothing's changed. They didn't do anything. They didn't learn anything. I think it's always good to remember that everyone has had their proper character arcs of series, so Doctor's been dealing with Tim Shaw for the most part. Graham has had the loss of his wife and bonding with um, Ryan, and he's dealt with Tim Shaw as well. Um, Ryan's had that as well. And even in Yaz's relatively centric episode, she had no plot. She had no bearing on the plot at all. So in her own episode, she's relegated to the sideline. So I don't I don't know what to feel about Yasmin as a character because I literally, I know that she's a policewoman. She was not very well liked by some people when she was younger. 
for ridiculous reasons. And that's it. That's all I know about her. So it's hard to feel any emotion or like connection to her because well, she's the absence I, of a character, in my opinion. I, I think what, what I what I have noticed, and I'll give Immigrant credit for this because he mentioned it, is that Yasmin, like since she's a police officer, that does kind of lead through in how she acts to situations. Like she does kind of act as a bit of a mediator. Yeah, yeah, I'll give her that. Tries to de-escalate when she can. Sometimes, like she's kind of about like conflict de yeah. deceleration, de-escalation, de-escalation. Oh uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go in favor of that. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. Maybe a little bit intentionally numb. I don't know. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, she tries to suppress her affect. So does Ryan. But most of the time, she's just asking questions to further the plot, like she does for all of this episode. Yeah. And I can see from a perspective that maybe that's a good description of what a police officer does, especially in fiction. But, um, well, she's not a good police officer, and it's not good fiction. I think that, um, I, I do want to enjoy these characters a lot, but as you said, she may be a mediator, but... If she had any defining moments this series, I'd probably feel a little bit stronger about her as a character. Um, I can't personally name any, but so if someone could name something, I might be able to you know, get a better idea. I remember hearing an absolutely bonkers, if that's the right word, nice one. theory. Uh, and it was basically Yaz was some sort of Time Lord character, and that's what and she's just spying on the doctor for the Time Lords. It really didn't make any sense at the time. Chameleon Arch. I think it was in like the Doctor Who Discord. I might be wrong. I think they were just trying to come up with some reason why Yasmin doesn't have a character. So they make everyone want to fill in the blanks. That's kind of what we do every week. If they were to do that as a plot, I wouldn't be against it, especially. Um, but I feel like they should. If they're gonna do that, they would leave beats for it. And that obviously, that's this is probably before the series happened. But there's less support for that than there is for Rory being the master. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh well, never mind. Honestly, you know, you know what? There's more support for. There's more scenes that support Rory being the master than there are scenes that support Yaz being. A character or a person at all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that was good. I think if Yaz turned out to be a Time Lord, ironically, that would invalidate the reason Chibnall put her in in the first place, which is as an excuse to have an episode about India, because Yaz would not actually be from India. So her whole backstory in that episode yeah. would be invalidated if she turned out to be a secret Time Lord, which is why hell it will probably happen. Oh, yeah, good. <laughs> Speaking of 13 and Yaz, um, their one plot point in this episode is they have to take off their neural blockers or whatever it is <laughs> so, um, and allow the planet to attack their mind. And the one line that this all culminates in is that 13 says she's a bit headachey now. She gets a headache. She also uh, says her head is a bit fuzzy. Uh, she says yeah. that one as well. There's two Oh, lines. my brain! God. I think um, my brain. the takeaway from this was meant to be that either the planet does it very slowly, because Power Track, he said that he'd been there for a while and it had been getting worse over time. So it didn't say that he's been here for like five minutes and he's already fucked out of his head. 
Um, so I, I'm not entirely bothered the fact that they said, oh, it's sort of getting a bit fuzzy. It's a bit of a cop-out, sure. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen them going, like having a, not a five-minute or ten-minute sequence, but just like a very short sequence of her looking around and her peripherals like change completely. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, I just got, guys, I just noticed something. Um, you, you mentioned something, and it just kind of gave me an aha moment. I hadn't know the, noticed this before, but if they were there, like that rescue team, if they were there trying to get the planets in the um, the crystal back to where they needed to go, why did it take them so long that it made them basically forget who they were? What stops them? I don't think it was the, from that choice. I think they they were there for a lot longer than they expected it to be. No, I, I think that... I was actually going to say just that. I think that what we're supposed to believe is that they only landed like a day ago tops, maybe a few hours ago, because the whole team is captured and waiting by the camera when Tim Shaw calls up Peltraki. It doesn't seem like he's, you know, uh, been wait, you know, waiting for days or weeks for this, uh, for this message to go through. So I figured that, uh, the psi fields or whatever would act very, very quickly. Yeah, that's exactly that's, what I was saying. Yeah, well, that's what seems to be set up, but it's not what happened. Does, doesn't Paltraki say that he didn't actually get affected until he went outside? Yeah, I think he did. It's the atmosphere that has the brain stuff. So yeah. right now, like at that point, they're in the shrine, like they're in a building. That's true. And that's true. the Ox and Tim Shaw are kind of fine without... Well, having would, any kind of neural stuff. They can have the magic power, so I guess it doesn't end. matter too much. I'm not sure what Tim Shaw's excuse is. The he can just have Ox's magic powers. They can do whatever they want with him. It must be... I mean, the question is, why would Chibnall build that anti-climax into the script at all? You know, setting up so early on that this planet is psychopathic. It attacks you if you set foot on it. And, oh my god, we have to take off our neural blockers. Nothing. It's building tension. You're building tension to nothing. Why would you it's do It's like it? the poison skin on the patine. It's like the invisible whatever's <laughs> in the water. Yes! Like, that, that's yeah. just what he does. That's I what think... he thinks makes tension. You're right, he doesn't know. It's, it's not a danger, it's a hazard, I think. That might be a distinction to make. It has a good point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. It's not actively trying to kill you. It's just like a environment. It's like, oh, by the way, if you do this, you'll um, so try not to do that. It's like clam drones. Yeah. All right. So basically, what I'm getting from this is, is basically just a really easy obstacle course that the doctor and her companions have to go through. Hmm. Yeah. It's easy as pie. Complete with a super easy final boss at the end. It's like the worst video game ever. I was expecting for the, uh, when they were traveling across the surface, I thought that there'd be at least something trying to stop them. Yeah, put some sniper bots out there. Because um, it was very, it, it reminded me of the bit in the Ghost Monument where they're on the boat and it's just sort of like 10 minutes where nothing really happens. At least on the boat they were talking with each other. Yeah, um, in the scene they, they just wandered from the ship to the meeting point, I think, and, or the teleporty bit, and you know nothing that, tried to stop them at all at any point. And I thought, well, if someone's coming for me, I'm going to send whatever I got. I, um, you know, that would have been a perfect time for Paltraki to turn on them, like I was saying before. Like, 
would have been a perfect time for him to realize that, you know, he's a killer or... Okay, in that point, if he's a killer and he's going to try and kill them, who out of the uh, Doctor, Ryan, Graham and Yaz would effectively try and stop him? That would be a great Hmm. place for uh, Yaz to do something. Yeah. With a police training. Yeah, she could subdue him like Charlie and Kablam. She could grab him. Put him yeah, in yeah she or could, she could yeah. try to. She could start with de-escalate. Oh no, they already did the de-escalation scene at the start. But we could have a, an action scene starring Yaz, a proper one. Um, I when I was saying who tries, I mean, they, if they're gonna kill him, that like he pulls a gun out on him and they got no choice but to go for it. Who do you think would do it? Yes. Hmm. I I think that um. Yeah, probably Yaz or Graham. I suppose, uh, realistically, what would happen is that the Doctor would sonic his uh, neural <laughs> balancer or whatever and oh. knock him out. Which would also be fine, but uh, obviously it'd be cooler if Yaz did it. Speaking of killing people, how do you feel about the fact that Thirteen finally said that line, if you kill him, you'll become the same as him? <laughs> That's why I do that now. <laughs> I honestly... Moral cues from Justin Trudeau. I honestly <laughs> thought that you were about to say, speaking of wanting to kill people, how do you feel about Chris Chibnall? <laughs> <laughs> That's the next question. I think, I, I, I like how Graves' response was just, I ain't having that. So like, yes. even maybe yes. on some dimension, Chibnall recognizes how kind of like superficial such a line is, but at the same time, we're meant to agree with the Doctor. And even later, like Ryan kind of like, well, like ultimately like Graham changes his mind or he, he no, says he that he was too weak to do it. He, he doesn't... I mean, he yes, he changes his mind, but at the end, Graham does, in fact, become just like Tim Shaw. He locks him up in the thing. Yeah, it's, but that's apparently better, even though in, in like, the first episode, when uh, Tim Shaw describes the whole thing, 13 says, how completely obscene. But, yeah. you know, if he's getting a taste of his own medicine, then who cares? That's, those, that's the sort of woman that 13 is. I was expecting her to turn around. When Graham says, oh, we locked him in the freezer, I was expecting her to turn around and say, what? Really? <laughs> Is that, you know, that's, that's bad, right? And I thought she'd give him a bollocking or something, but she didn't. Remember the she spiders? Just went, oh, well, never mind. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what she did to the spiders, isn't it? She locked them in a room. That's fine. Yep. That is. Yep. Is there another uh, one that went like that? Uh, but she tricked I the guess- thing into outer space. Yeah, well, you couldn't do anything else. Yeah, well, it, it can survive out there. Yeah, so that's it's not really dying, it's sort of just going back. The Pating will rampage again one day. Yeah, I hope so, I really do. I suppose it is kind of what she did to Tim Shaw. It is kind of what she did to Tim Shaw in the first episode. You had no right. Yeah. God. I mean, he was killing people and taking their fucking teeth, but you had no <laughs> right to, like, kill him after I'd already, like, fucking almost killed him. Mad. It's all over the place. I don't really care anymore. What do you think about how when Thirteen and Tim Shaw kind of confront each other, and then Tim Shaw kind of says like, "This is you, you did this. Like this all happened because of you." And she just says, "Don't put this on me." It, it, it reminded me of like um, series one finale. How like he sees what's happened in two thousand one hundred, and he just kind of says, "Oh, I did this. Like I have to fix this." And Thirteen think- just kind of rejects that completely. I, I quite like the little superhero pose he was doing on the floor. I couldn't actually tell what he was doing, whether he was like sitting on the floor in like a zen pose, or if he was like kneeling like a superhero. Well, it was some kind of life support system, wasn't it? So maybe he was just he like was yeah, recharging or yeah, something. Yeah, he was Darth Vadering, that's it. 
Yeah. Um, I feel like... What is like bidding my master? I feel like him saying, this is all your fault, would make sense if this was like the third time she'd met him. Or like, uh, later down the line, like, she's saying, ever since I met you, my life has turned to shit, so I'm going to rectify that by killing you as soon as I can. Or fucking around with your life, or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, it was kind of contradictory because he was kind of happy that this was the situation, but at the same time, he wanted revenge for being put in this situation. <laughs> yeah. It also seems like a situation that's extremely easy to escape now that he has the Ux with him. Yes. Certainly wouldn't take 3,000 years, so there is no... Uh, there's nothing holding him there except him wanting to use the Ux powers. Well, actually, he says that he was exiled, and... Did he? Because I'm pretty sure he mentions, like, even though I'm exiled, I'll still do the bidding of the Stenza. Like, that's his motive for the whole planet stuff. Oh. I'm pretty sure I heard that somewhere. Maybe it's metaphorical exile, because he got banished to this planet by the Doctor. I think, like, he must just infer that I must be exiled because this Good thing point, happened. Because he fucked up and he's like, yeah, I can't yeah. go back to my beyond, I'm just going to leave. I did have I'll a... i find out that uh, I colluded with the multi-sensor thing. The gathering coil thing. Yeah. There you go, thanks. Um, I did have... Because that's who he is. Trump. Some <laughs> uh, reservations about asking this. Just uh, saying. All the more okay. reason you should ask it. Yeah. yeah good point. Uh, I was going to ask, what is your favorite thing about this episode? Um, I have an answer. I liked the scenes with Graham and Ryan and only because of how they interact with each other. I think like the entire concept of what they're talking about is contrived, but I think it was, it was like, I kind of liked how affectionate they were with each other. I think in terms of like the whole series, like that kind of felt like a bit more genuine to everything else, even though like the whole situation was a bit contrived. I still got some value out of that. Did you like that small bit where um, Graham lifted the torch and shone it in Ryan's face and Ryan sort of slapped it down? That felt like yeah. ad-libbed, like something the actor yeah. might have put in. Yeah. Like a, a nice little good. detail. I like that. Yeah. It, it makes them feel like actual, like an actual family. Yeah. yeah. Not that that's what families do to each other all the time, but it's, they've got that dynamic with each other, so they know it, like what annoys each other. So he's, he's not deliberately shining a light in his face, but he's doing it out of reflex or something. Yeah, there was a lot of things that I actually did like about the episode. Um, I liked a lot of the, uh, I guess you would call it production design, but sort of the general aesthetic. Uh, I thought the CGI was pretty good, uh, except for the very start where they're building the Pillar of Hope. Yeah, the, ro the rocks look <laughs> I didn't even see that scene. That was a little weak. But I started watching ten minutes into the episode, I didn't even see that bit. Oh, you didn't miss much. Yeah. <laughs> And I thought that uh, Delph was really, really cute. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, well, cool. no, there's some other parts I kind of liked, but those were my favorite parts. I forgot which one Delph was. He's the black kid. The boy, the male. Mm -hmm. Because oh, like okay. you, but like you, Neil, so I am a homosexual. No, I, I see what you mean. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry. I get you. I'm with you on the aesthetic side. I thought the scenes where they're walking along the um, wasteland and they see the shrine floating in the air, I thought this is incredibly shallow uh, kind of approach, but I thought, you know, it was convincingly cinematic in inverted commas, which is, which is rare for Doctor Who. Yeah. Yeah, I okay, get yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it actually, that worked just on its own as an image, especially yeah. the way it sort of appeared out of the mist. 
I mean, it's the, it's Doctor Who catching up to 50 years of cinema, but it was still pretty nice. I think that one of the things I enjoyed quite a lot about this episode was um, the Graham stuff. He he seemed to have this was. own plot throughout the entire thing, and it seemed to be not a, a Graham-centric episode, but it seemed to be very much interested in what he was feeling and what he was doing. I quite enjoyed the foundry aesthetic of the um, inside the little floating castle. Yeah. Uh, I thought it looked quite like alien almost. Not yeah. as in an alien design, the film alien. Yeah. That's um, something that the show's been doing pretty good at sort of recapturing lately. Yeah. Um, okay. I think the, the, the influence of having this billowing smoke and light going through the smoke was quite nice and the I don't know what to call the room where they were getting crucified almost uh, the Ugs. oh yeah the planet room along with the cross uh, it was like a shrine yeah the shrine room the cloister room um, I quite liked how the light was going through that Nacho are you going to say something oh uh, no I was um, I was just going to bring up the you know part of the Ah, fuck, I lost it. I'm sure Nacho didn't really have anything important to say anyways. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new there. What do you think about the cross oh. symbolism? Like... Yeah. Yeah. It, like, it was there, it didn't, it didn't have any purpose. Like, I'm not sure exactly why, like... Lazy and shallow. It was lazy. That, like, that was my kind of issue with it. Um, if... Because at kind of like the conflict point of the episode, they do the whole, do we sacrifice, like, it could have been, like, if we disconnect the Ux, they might die to save the Earth. So, like, that was like almost like a trolley problem of sorts. Yeah. But then Thirteen just ignores it in the next line and figures something else out. But, like, if they were going to do, like, actually commit to that and say, like, we have to sacrifice the Ux, and then they're on, like, this cross thing. In order to save worlds. Yeah then yeah. maybe it would have been justified and I, people may have been upset by that but it would have been funny at least it's the laziest and shallowest christ metaphor the series has had since the tv movie put eight in a crown of thorns talking about the tv movie i was about to say there's probably better ways of having these people standing there so maybe they could have had them done like eight was not with the crown of thorns but with like mm. being stuck in the standing position or having them on a like a chair or something, just anything <laughs> better than even if they fucking sat on like a fold-out chair or some something, just having it's something better than a cross metaphor. I, I it's just boring. A stained glass cross. Yeah, go for that. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that's what they were in. They were on a yeah. stained glass cross. Um, what? Oh, I was I was responding to Neil. So sorry. Oh, sorry yeah, about right. that. Um. I, I was going to respond to my own question, um, which was, what do I like about the episode? And I was going to say, the concept of alien religion has always struck me as something that's interesting, uh, yeah, mainly, yeah. mainly because I'm more of a theological type myself. You know, I, I study it on occasion, um, but... The, the main reason I find it interesting in fiction, and particularly science fiction, is because there are two contrasting things. Yeah. You know, science and religion. Which one do you choose, kind of thing. Um, my, my main thing about that is 
like here's another kind of a negative thing, a thing I didn't really like, was they seemed to emphasize that these creatures, these ox, they basically could build anything out of anything. They could move and shape space and everything. They could basically create, but then why would they need a creator? Yeah, they need to create. Yeah, well, Thirteen brings up that point herself when she's trying to like talk him into stuff. She says, uh, "Like you're the creators, like you build." Oh yeah. So, like they they almost kind of bring that up, but then at the end, Thirteen kind of goes, Thirteen kind of goes against it, not against it, but like she says, like keep your faith. Uh, n- none of us know for sure what's out there. That's why we keep looking. Keep your faith. Travel hopefully. The universe will surprise you constantly. And, you know, that's her, like, epic finale speech. Like, Jibdol was really proud of that one, I imagine. Yeah, he's like, yeah, fucking nailed it. One go. <laughs> um, I, I, one of the things I like about the Urks is that they remind me uh, at least somewhat of the Logopolitans from Logopolis. Oh, yeah. They're using yeah. block transfer computation, after all. Yeah. And they get trussed up like Adric. Yeah. I was about to say, that's probably what the only similarity they have with anything that's good. I thought it was really interesting that the doctor said, um, uh, it's been a while, I, I don't remember the exact phrasing, I believe she said, I've never met anyone, any species with powers like yours. Yeah. Except for the Logopolitans and the Carrionites and, you know, word lords. Yeah, and then she says the same thing about like having planets trapped and shrunk down. It's like I've never seen this before. Yes, but she, she mentions the stolen Earth and um, the stolen planet or whatever it's called. I can't remember what it's called. Journey's End. Yeah, she mentions that episode later in the story. She said, "Oh, I carried your planet home," so she does know. <laughs> so she's just fucking stupid. Or, she's- or maybe she's intentionally just trying to be coy about it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I was quite surprised that Yaz didn't go. Wait, that was you or something. Surely <laughs> um, she'd have been old enough to remember that. Or I don't remember that. It would have actually yeah. been funny if she said, "I don't remember that." Nah, it bullshit me. Well, Moffat did wipe it along with everything else in RTD's era. Oh yeah, there's that as well. <laughs> yeah, I was fine with just assuming cracks. <laughs> I still hold to my opinion that the best Chibnall story so far is The Power of Three. Oh. Interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be really honest and say I really like 42, even though it's probably been rewritten by Russell T. Davies. That is literally an exact copy of uh, The Satan Pit. Yeah, I don't really care. <laughs> None of his episodes are good. I just don't care. Satan Pit's better. It's got the trivia quiz in it. It's fun. It, the thing is... It's a lot of running around corridors chased by monsters. Quite a lot of the Chibnall stuff, it's quite... It, under his own stewardship as showrunner, it's quite flat. And in the RTD era and uh, Moffat era, it seems a lot more lively. But I think that's probably because of the... Um, that his stories have probably been rewritten a bit. Or they're better director, they have better pacing or something. I think that um, 42 works not greatly but its pacing is quite nice and none of the characters are really properly developed like some stories might have them be i mean you've only got 40 minutes to do a story so you're not going to get extreme depth of character 
I mean, it's not like every other show has done this at some point. But um, I I like the the idea of 42 where there's like a glowing light hiding in a human suit, almost like a skin suit. So when they open up their eyes, they're, they're flashing. It's like there's no human inside them. It's just like a light. Which is, that's one of the reasons I like it the most of his stories. Oh, he, he reused the glowy lights in this one. Yeah. He did, did he? I yeah. can't remember. And then they I forgot remember. to put it in one of the shots. Oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> I remember so little about this story. Yeah, when Delph is uh, uh, doing whatever the hell he's doing with the artist. Oh, yeah. Artist. Did you notice that, like, at the end, like, after they put all the planets back, and then Delph kind of, like, collapses to the floor, and then 13 looks at him, like, really concerned. It's like, Delph! And then the next shot, he's just completely fine. Yes, I noticed that. Yeah, his light goes out, and it's like, oh shit, he's dead. Yeah, I thought he was dead. And then he's like, nah, I'm fine, fuck it, whatever. <laughs> like, didn't you die on the floor? And he's like, nah, I'm fine, don't pay attention. <laughs> did you guys hear, uh, and not here, but uh, did you guys notice the the fact that it took so much energy out of the TARDIS to pull it, uh, to pull the planet Earth, but then when there were like 15 uh, planets that they had to put back, it was just like... Done. Yeah, I noticed okay. that. There was a shower of sparks, <laughs> but that I was guess about it's it. Just down to the ux. Oh, they were doing all the brain power work themselves. Maybe that took the strain off the TARDIS. That's true. In the in uh, Journey's End, pretty much the TARDIS had to manually tow it. Beep beep beep. <laughs> <laughs> It'd have been great if it had just split in two halfway across. It's like, oh fuck. one thing that i noticed in this one is that there there are a lot of like little moments that maybe chibnall thought like made sense in the script but then how they were like acted and directed out didn't really work so like right at the start like they're in the ship room and like they talk for a bit they have like the um they're getting held by gunpoint and then they notice the crystal in the room and it's been there the whole time, like right next to where 13 was standing. And it's making a noise, and they don't notice it until it's relevant to the story. <laughs> can and can then, I then, bring up... Oh no, go ahead, go sorry. Finish, finish okay, your I've point? Got, I've got more, I, ha- I have a list. And then later on, when they're walking to the Pillar of Hope, the Magic Shrine, um, they're just like walking down a path, and then Ryan kind of stops and says like, Well, yes, do you see this? And he's referring to the thing that is immediately in front of them, that they have been walking towards for a long time. Visual big finish. Visual big finish. <laughs> that's, that's what this whole series sounds like. It's, uh, that's all the series. But the big problem with it is that, like, I think Chibnall's way of writing is that he thinks things that actually, like, are in front of you, like saying long, arduous travel where nothing happens, actually will affect us as viewers versus us, we just... Oh, we saw them walking for a bit. Oh, they cut away. It's night now. Oops, they were walking all day. That's not big. Versus yeah, Chibnall, who's sitting around thinking, oh, it's, they've been walking all day. How exciting. Um, I think classically, they would have done a scene of them starting the trip, then they'd have another scene of something else happening, then they'd have them ending the trip. But we see the beginning, the middle, and the end. That's why it drags out so long, because we see the literal entire journey they go through. And it, that's why I think it drags a lot, because we see the whole journey, as opposed to like the most important or interesting bits. Yeah, and that's... It's the same problem as the Ghost Monument. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, do you guys remember cool. when Jibdo kept saying something like, um, you know, all the episodes will have, you know, the cliffhangers to keep the viewers interested, and that never happened? You can watch them in any order. Did he say that? Yeah, he said yeah, that. The first couple did. I don't remember that line. I do remember you can watch them in any order. Well, I do remember that in the trailer, there was one of these shots from this episode, I think, and it had a really... And the colors were completely different. Yeah, the colors were like completely out of whack, and I think it looked quite good. And then it was just fucking grey everywhere. Huh. It was like being in the 70s again, watching fucking Colony in Space. It was awful. <laughs> oh god, Connie, don't start me. <laughs> I love that story, though. I like Colony. <sighs> Um, so, and the, the other, other thing, thing that I saw was that, like, when, when they're in the uh, stasis chamber room, Graham and Ryan, and, like, they're trying to, like, turn the lights on, and Graham just randomly thinks, oh, maybe this button will do it. So he presses one of the buttons on a stasis chamber, and that turns all the lights on in the room. Yeah, that was odd that he was able to- What if he'd killed everyone? Maybe. Or maybe it was just really intuitive. Maybe they're called the Ux because they're really good UX designers. Yeah. Uh, also, did they actually rescue everybody, or just Peltracki's crew? No, they did. They rescued all 30 people. So when they went back to their ship, remember, at the start, we see, like, the whole crew. It's Peltracki and then three others, and they say straight out, there are four people on this ship. Yeah. So then they bring 30 people back, and there's Peltracki as well, so that's 31 people. And then there's two Ux. Without neural balancers? Without, yeah, without neural balancers. And also, um... When the Ux say, we want to come along, Patraki says, you're going to have to sleep on the floor. So does that mean they have exactly 31 cryopods conveniently for everyone, but not two more for the Ux? I think it's just going to be a dog pile on that ship. You're fucking fighting together. Weren't there only like five people missing? From that one ship, but then they rescued a bunch of other people. Yeah, yeah there's... Three people missing from Peltracky's ship, and then the other eight. Yeah. I remember, they said straight out there were 30 people that they rescued. I missed that part. I totally missed the fact that they rescued 30 people <laughs> in seemingly entirely off-screen, because I don't remember seeing any. No, they they do very briefly when they're all running back to the ship and then and then Ryan's like oh shit Graham didn't come back and he and he runs back to the ship you see a decent sized group of people run back to the ship for like a second I totally missed that sorry yeah I missed that too and the only reason they rescued that many people is because Ryan and Graham need something to do long enough for Tim Shaw to turn up <laughs> no yeah. Which yeah. reminds me, why did Tim Shaw go after them in that room? Like, why was he happy to let the Doctor run around and destroy his plan, but Ryan removing one person from a stasis chamber is caused for him to get up and all angry and kill? He ain't so smart. He ain't, he ain't so smart, man. Because it's bad writing. I think he just is really bad at finding the Doctor, so he was just trying to, like, find the Doctor, and he walked, oops, got into the stasis room. <laughs> I'm really quite hesitant hesitant at the idea of um tim shaw turning into like the master but i only say that because he's died once he came back and he's been put in a stasis chamber and he'll probably come back at some point again and it was and, heavily implied that he is going to return the way he yeah. was touching the stasis chamber yeah. i just don't i don't care about him he's just the idea of the stenza is a ritual group who go around the universe killing things and taking things as trophy i think that's like an all right idea on paper 
but the implementation it's a great idea in a movie yeah it's like, like, a, um, like a really good 80s movie yeah i know starring um, like a really good action star this is the movie in the 60s the more the most dangerous game yeah. like the 50s or something um i think if it had been implemented in the rtd era or moffat i think it had been a lot better it would have been weirder too but it's just so flat in this fucking era it's awful i hate it maybe in 30 years tim shaw got his equivalent of the witch's familiar with davros <laughs> and then, you know he'll, he'll be <laughs> tearfully reconciling with doctor 25. um instead of the familiar when he's like why did i let you live he's just like why did i let you steal teeth why did i let you do that <laughs> Can you hear me? Uh, yes. Um, yes. Okay, good. Uh, can I bring up something real quick? Yeah, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. You know, we're, while we're while we're on the idea of like how weird it is that like people seem to like touch things or coincidences seem to happen, a lot of Chibnall's writing style just seems to be like, hey, let's put so let's put something there and then just make it really convenient to drive the plot forward, like. The Doctor and Yaz being together and doing stuff are just so they can be the plot exposition like 99% of the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And, the, and Tim Shaw waiting 3,000 years to go after Earth. Although I'm willing to accept that he's probably choosing to go after Earth because they reminded him. But it seems weird that they, that they happen to show up at exactly the time that he's got... You know, everything charged up to go for another planet. I mean, I mean, the TARDIS apparently, according to the Doctor's wife, does know, you know, where to go, despite, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So I, I can accept some coincidences like that because without some of them, like you don't have story. Like I, I can, I can give him some of those. I think with some stories, it it goes beyond the coincidence. So is it really a coincidence, oh, or is it like, yeah, I think for this one. Maybe it could be a coincidence. Maybe it was like predetermined. So she's like, "Oh shit, something's happening. I better go take her yeah. here instead." It reminds me of something that I believe is attributed to Raymond Chandler, which is that uh, using coincidences to get your characters out of trouble is bad writing, but using coincidences to get your characters into trouble is great writing. And I remember somebody more recently adapting that same quote to be about time travel uh, because I think that person disliked uh, Stephen Moffat and of course that means that they're a bad person but <laughs> I, I think that there, there might be something to that is that it's fine that this, the coincidences that are necessary for the story to begin they're fine it's the weird little ones that along the way that kind of great Another note, does anyone feel like 13 was really, really humorless this episode? Yeah, she seemed to have like innate humor through most of the series. Um, just little quips here and there, but she did seem a little bit flat and boring. No, not even boring. Um, you know what I mean when I say that? Not that she was... Yeah, boring. Yeah, fuck it, why not? Yeah, you know, what, what I noticed was that within one minute of runtime, she said both, oh, I love precautions and I love wellies. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's just kind of Chibnall writing 13 on autopilot. It's like, oh, I love this. I have invented them. I love I love X. It makes me feel of Y when I Z. It's like, yeah. Yeah. It's the same yep. thing that Moffat used to do, though, with um, 
oh, I, I had a good time with X. We used to go and do Y, and then she was really good at Z. Yeah. Superlative bass player. Chibnall's Autopilot 13 dialogue seems like Moffat's Autopilot 11 dialogue, but turned down even more simplistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 When, I, um, when, he, when they say these, um, oh, I used to go with X to do Y and Z, I feel like that's not him. Sometimes it's him bragging or it's the doctor bragging. But um, I feel like it's like an icebreaker. There's like a tense moment. He's just sort of like trying to lighten the mood for people a bit. Mm-hmm. Not in every scenario. Um, I think one that might be a good example of this is when they're in the Time of Angels, when they're in the catacombs and he's talking about Virginia Woolf and bowling. <laughs> they're in, like, in the middle of like a life and death scenario. So he's just sort of giving them a bit of respite. He's not trying to cheer them up totally. He's just trying to remember like this can end at some point. So just keep your spirits up. I think that maybe that is what she's doing when she's approaching the Pillar of Hope and talking about uh, wellies and how she half-invented them. Yeah, like, she might just be doing that for herself. I think she mentioned in one episode, like, she was just trying to, like, cheer herself up, or she was trying to calm herself down. She talks to herself when she's trying to, yeah. It could be something like that. Do you think that at this point we have good idea of what the 13th Doctor is actually like, the character. Or do you oh, think we need no, no. Yeah, Holy I, crap, yeah. no. I think we have a good idea of how Chibnall, like, how much Chibnall has envisioned for her. Like, she's kind of, I don't know if whimsical is the right word, but, like, it's ch- childish. Like, there's there's something about her. I would have said Ditsy, but I don't know if that's right. Yeah, no, Ditsy is kind of valid. Like, that, that sort of, like, easily trails off into thought and like tries to stay lighthearted and about everything and yeah. kind of like that that's all there it's just compared to what previous doctors have been it's not much so we expect more no. it doesn't seem very uh, obviously he's got these things and he wants to have them as a character but it doesn't feel as defined and as because by this time in every doctor's first series you have an, an idea of what their character is um Maybe not for some like Seven who went through a change. Eleven to an extent. Um, yeah. You have at least an idea of what they should be. And I don't feel like we have that as much as we should with Thirteen. If it was maybe... <sighs> I'm yeah. going to argue that maybe maybe that's because <laughs> Chibnall wrote Thirteen to be like the, ever, the, the exposition, whereas all of his guest writers... Just wrote him, wrote her to be the doctor. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's like two um, separate characters. Well, most of them. Do. It takes you away, kind of used her for exposition a bit. Yeah, a little bit. Well, saying that, I um, I think, yeah, I basically, think you're right. I was gonna go somewhere with that, but I'm not sure where. So don't worry about it. What episode do you think was this series? Is um, uh, the Lodger in that an episode that sort of sets the tone for what all future characterization for that Doctor is going to be. Because 11 pre-The Lodger and 11 post-The Lodger are very different characters. Uh, it's really difficult. Kerblime, maybe? We haven't seen the future. Hopefully none of them. I would maybe say... Um, I'm going to give two answers because I'm technically cheating on that. Um, maybe Kablam and It Takes Your Way, maybe? Maybe. (laughs) I'm not sure. I think we'd have to have more episodes to say, but yeah, like you said, it changes after this point. 
it, it is um, it is too early to really cast judgment on series 11 so yeah i think so <laughs> no doubt i mean we're only 10 episodes in they still got to be like three more episodes and then the finale right uh yeah about that um um <laughs> uh, in giga is that how you pronounce it yeah well i'm pronounced however you want but sure i was on in giga but yeah okay um could you cut what i'm about to say out of the final product I can, I, if, that, if that's necessary. <laughs> Why is it, is it that bad? But you probably will not. <laughs> Taking your life in your own hands, oh, buddy. This is gonna be a, this is gonna be a really really spicy. This is gonna be a spicy take. That's like oh, hell. Okay, shoot. Let, let's 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 hear it. Let's hear it. Um, I'm. I told Skelly that. I not very nice and it i thought it was very silly that it happened like that <laughs> imagine having every single post you've ever made or you've made in the last month or so be followed by <laughs> it makes me laugh it, it, it does <laughs> sometimes it doesn't oh, yeah, but you kind of have a bit of skin but going back to what i was saying um it I think that it's quite unfair. Aren't really offensive in of themselves or silly. Not any worse than Tuota. Oh God, Tuota. Um, <laughs> I think it's. I'm amazed we never got him on the cast. Because there are some people post that have. In my opinion, very hot takes. They post a lot of really strange things and. It's silly me, like they did surgery on a grave. Hi, I'm Nilso and I'm gay. I'm having mixed emotions. A lot more rigid. A lot more rigid. A lot more rigid. Doctor Who equivalent. DWE of of this podcast. Um, time lash. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> no, I, love that. I don't care. I was gonna say mission to the unknown. You can say whatever you want. I love time lash. I don't care. Well, since Doctor Who came up, should we quickly wrap it back round to Doctor yes, Who? Maybe? Yes, I should say. Yeah, okay, yeah. Let's, let's maybe we maybe yeah, just a quick retrospective. Yeah, maybe just a quick retrospective on Series 11, because it's finished, and now we've got a year-long hiatus after the special. So how do you guys feel? <laughs> Before we quite go to that point, I do have... I got this post from Who, from some sick degenerate. This is the sort of person that liked this episode. Uh, I've never heard of this guy before. I, let's see here. It says his, he was posting under the name uh, Gallifrey Immigrant. As a Series 11 supporter, it's not fun anymore to be in fandom. Is this what it's like to be a Capaldi fan in non-Who spaces? So that's the sort of person that we're dealing well, with. Well, I sort of, um, <laughs> it, I understand if someone wants to be a fan of this, then that's fine. I'm okay with them enjoying this. It's just, I, if they, if I want to tell them, like, if there's a real problem with this series and I'm not doing it to 
I, if there's a problem and I'm telling you, I'm not doing it to be like, oh, my era is better than your era. I'm doing it because I want this to be good. I want it to be good. I really do. It's but it's I just, it's not tenable in its position at the moment, I think. Um, it needs to, it's had like a rebrand and everyone, all, all the normies seem to like it. And I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But you're not really getting any, as much as you could be from this. And this is why. But they're just like, nah, sorry, racist. And I'm like, oh, fantastic. Brilliant. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, it's great. Brilliant with this course. I'm so glad. Um, I, my overall thoughts on series 11, that's, that's very broad. Um, as a question, but I say I would say eight out of the ten episodes aired were phenomenal. Oh wow, that's eight. a good take. I like that. Wow, it's a lot, man. What were the two that didn't do it for you? Which ones? Which ones aren't the phenomenal ones? Uh, the first one and the one we're reviewing. Oh, so the, the oh, wow. tail end of the series. So you like everything else in between? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair huh. enough. Let's, I, I'll, I'll accept that take. I'm, I don't agree with it, but I'll accept it. I'm willing to accept that the show isn't always going to do what I want it to do. Yeah, that's I think that's one of the things. Yeah. History has shown that when it does what I want it to do, it very quickly sheds followers by the millions. So, so are we the wrong ones here? That's why I have to ask ourselves. Are we the bad guys? Well, that's the thing, because you know, not not to be the ratings guy, but like this last yeah uh the last episode and this one we're already back at the second half of series nine tier yeah ratings. it was a pretty precipitous drop yeah i so, think but Sorry, aside go. from the ratings what i'm getting at is I- i'm willing to accept um the show for what it's trying to do like uh a long, long time ago, it feels like years ago, I said that the Saranga conundrum was a 10 out of 10 by Chibnall standards. And I'm willing to accept that the show is going to try to do things the way that it wants to do them. And when it does that well, I'm fine with it. But it's not that it's becoming more episodic, it's that it's implementing an episodic structure poorly. It's not that it's becoming more like superhero stuff, it's that it's becoming like bad superhero stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, you mean 13 posing in a superhero pose isn't everybody's cup of tea? She did that in the last episode, though. She did it, oh, she did? it a few times, and she, um, I didn't see her doing it. She just it's, sort of went and did it. It would be fine the way she does that. It would be totally fine if she did everything else with that same level of swagger. Like, yeah. uh, when Eleven, Eleven had a very programmed way that he would use his Sonic, that he would almost always do the same motions, but his whole physical performance used that same sort of wiggly language, you know? I think mean, that's probably because of Matt Smith's physical. Exactly, he's, exactly. He's, very I mean. tall, he's quite tall and he's quite thin. He would wiggle the, wiggle the thing and then hold it up with like that flick and eyeball it. He's got a very good physical comedy to it, and I think that's why it yeah. works. And Jody has her thing that she does. She does the huge sweep, which honestly seems very um, sort of almost uh, Pertwee-esque. But if she carried herself like that in general, then it would be fine because it would all work together. It would all be you know, coherent. 
but it's not. I'd have liked to have seen a return for the Sonic Screwdriver where it's at, like directional almost, but the way Perks we used to hold it, and he'd have it facing a direction. It's like coming out the top instead of it just being like a, a sword. Do you know what I mean? You hold it up right. Yeah, yeah. Hold it up right. I quite like that. That it's um almost you have to be bang on when you're putting it to whatever you're going to use it for. I'm. I don't really care about that. I mean, um, I know that for some people, that's the big thing is how the doctors hold their sonics in it, orientation. It doesn't really uh, bother it, me that much. It's just that's the personal taste. Yeah. I said, um, who was it that that they used to? Was it Tenant? That used to do it because when he would extend it, he wouldn't extend it facing you. He would extend it upwards. Yeah, usually when he was doing sort of some kind of uh, area of effect thing. Yeah. What's that episode where he blows up that massive door in the series two finale? He does yeah, it then. He's uh, up, right? Yeah. So I have a bunch of quotes that they used to promote this series before oh, it started. Ahead. Yes. Okay. So Matt Strevens says. Like any drama, like any show, I think it starts with the characters. And you need to love the characters, and almost you'll turn up to see those characters do anything. Well, mm. I sort of get that he says it's about characters, and I, I'd agree with that. It is about characters, but what you've got aren't characters, in my opinion. Again, if, yeah. if that was, if that had worked out, I would be all for it. Yeah, if it but worked. If it worked. Um, I mean, and then we have. Oh, sorry, you could go. I was gonna say the the um the eighth doctor stuff is always about characters and it's nothing like this. Yeah, oh, surely it should be about story more than characters. I mean, the characters come a very close second, but the story, you, you know, they're intertwined, aren't they? You can't really have one without the other. Yeah, they, yeah, they're quite important together. You can you can do a story. Or, oh yeah, let's call it a story. You can do a story focusing more on plot or more on character. Or more on tone or theme or visuals. You can do it in any particular way, but like RTD, who was often very concerned with characters and their emotions and their uh, journeys and arcs, yeah, to the extent that his plotting would be incredibly um, detailed, haphazard. Let's go with. Uh, like remember right, that so, bit in the writer's that. tale where he's complain where he's explaining why it's okay that he's not foreshadowing anything and everything sort of comes out of nowhere and is wild and unpredictable. I just want to add another point on after this before we go on to the next quote. Sorry, carry on. Okay, well, yeah. (coughs) And then Moffat is often much the opposite. He's very focused on the plot, on really intricate and really interesting plotting. And then uh, to an extent the characters suffer like Amy kind of spins her wheels for two what three seasons uh, Clara uh, well Clara is sort of where he started to shift and there was that really ugly transition around 7b where mm-hmm. she where the show is trying to treat her as both uh, plot mystery, and also trying to interrogate the idea of whether that's okay, because she's supposed to be a real person, or at least a, a real character. And, you know, it ended when, up working out pretty well in the end, but... When Gig said earlier that 
uh, characters and plot are often entwined and they're quite important to each other. It's like, personally, I enjoy Death to the Daleks. You know, I'm Nick Briggs, sue me. Um, but the characters in Death of the Daleks aren't very good. They're quite poor. And I think the story is quite good without them. <clears throat> so I think that there is maybe a cause for some stories not to be so entwined. Um, I know there was a complaint phrased about this, uh, but I would really love to see some of the book writers uh, come into uh, the TV show. We did get one this time. Didn't they uh, make a big point at the start of the series when RTD took over that they didn't want people for, who'd written already to come back for it? Yeah, they did, but I mean... No, no, when RTD took over, they... I, was saying, man. I think they were referring to classic... Yeah, yeah, when RTD took over, everybody had written for the book series. Even himself. You're so thinking he... about Chibnall. When Chibnall took over, they wanted nobody who had written before. Which is strange, because um, even in RTD's era, he had Paul Cornell come back and do um, uh, Human Nature yeah. and the Family Cornell, Club. Cornell, Gaddis, Moffat, and uh, uh, who am I forgetting? And I had this conversation the other day that some some of the best episodes of New Who have, have been adaptions and older stuff. Um, not like Planet like, of the Dead. Yeah, Planet of the Dead, brilliant. Um, <laughs> the Dalek itself. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, it's no. I don't think it's as good as uh, no. Jubilee itself. I, I, I'm not a massive fan of Jubilee. I like it, but it's not like my t- number one story. What um, is your number one audio? Oh, my number one audio. I I don't know. I wouldn't be able to give a concrete answer. I really like Fanfare for the Common. But, Ooh, good one. Um, I quite like Night Thoughts as well. That may be Night Thoughts. Are the only one who um, liked the class audios? I mean, they, they were fine. I haven't heard them. I haven't even seen class. I'm never going to watch class, sorry. Might be the only one who's listened to the class audios. <laughs> you might be. You. I don't listen to them because they're not canon. The only one who... Uh, yeah. Anyone who's listened to them who didn't also work on them, at least. <laughs> Much like this oh. series, which basically, you know, every Who cast is is a listenership of people who have been or want to be on the Who cast. It, um, I wonder how well those class audios sold. I, I really do. If there's like five. Can't be that well. They sold, uh... 10,000, I mean, uh, 1,000 copies, because that's all that were made. Uh, um, <laughs> I saw in, uh, I was shopping a while ago, and I did see a uh, vinyl of Zygon Hunt, and I thought, oh, damn, that's kind of cool. But I was wondering, if they, they, they have to know that they're not going to get a lot of sales on some of these things. Um, they wow. make them, yeah, I know. Well, they're limited editions, so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I... With the, the, I, don't, I like the idea of the final prints. I don't have a, uh, a play of that kind of thing, but I like having. I would like to have something like that. But I wonder how. When they were thinking, okay, we're going to do some class audio, what do we do? If we're not going to have that many people, what do we do with this license that probably not cost us a lot of money, but we're going to make it worth our while, basically? And I haven't heard them, so I can't comment on them. But I wonder how well they fit within their, like, show. So what was the next point that we were going to Yeah, what was the next quote? <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, oh, well, this one's... Too long there. 
It's all right. Uh, this one's from Jodie Whittaker. She said, this season is 10 standalone episodes, so you have contained storylines within that episode, so you have a huge series character arc for many of the characters. But if you came in at episode five, you would get you would get a film in an evening of television. What was episode five? Yeah, I like that. Um, I really enjoy watching The Woman Who Felt to Earth and then The Battle of Brown Square of Kolos, then The Ghost Monument. That's great. I love that. Yeah. That makes so much right. sense. Mm. Yeah, mm. all right. So I've also got one here from Segan. Uh, it was some interview where they were asking if there were, would or not be unique musical themes for certain characters. And he said, oh, yes, we do have character themes for the Doctor and her new companions that will pop up in various episodes. There's also series <coughs> themes across the 10 episodes when specific recurring things happen. <laughs> I'd rather them just have no music, to be honest. Yeah. They're going to have that as a score. I'd rather them just have it fucking blank. I mean, I noticed 13's theme. I can't say I recognized anything else returning. I think I know Yaz's one. I think whenever it goes, oh. da, 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 or something like that, I think that's Yaz's. <laughs> it sounds like that. I heard it from Rosa and possibly one of the other ones. Yeah, no, there was this really annoying, really American trumpet stab that I played like whenever that. Rosa showed up on Steam. I, it's, it's too hokey for me. Oh God. Rosa, space odyssey. <sighs> there was the Jaws theme for Krasco. Oh yeah, Jaws theme. I'll rise yeah. up, I'll rise like a wave, all right. I'm almost really upset that the rumor that all of the, all of the villains are gonna come back for the finale didn't actually happen, because that would've been more entertaining than the shit we actually had to sit through. That would've been amazing. <laughs> it would've been terrible in itself, but I would've loved to have seen the patina again, honestly. Every single prediction we made about the finale, one, turned out to not work out, and two, would've been better. But you can't yeah. say that, because we expected yeah. it to be shit, and it was shit. I actually have another quote from uh, Sagan uh, here. Uh, it says, Whoop whoop, almost time for a new adventure. This one doesn't look too good. Hashtag Doctor Who. Hashtag Kerblam. What did he mean by that? And it was the best of the series. So what did he mean by this? <laughs> oh. Um, I was going to bring up that... Um... <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I lost it. From... <laughs> Remember? Um, no, it's... You, you, you know, you know what really bothered me. The only thing that I've, I've really thought, oh, okay, I thought we were being led there, was you notice how like the planet shaking in the little crystals looked kind of like the, the moth flapping from, uh, it takes you away. Yeah, I, I thought they were going to be the same thing. That was a really <laughs> weird effect. Yeah, I didn't know. I was like, oh, I thought it was just some. Okay, so the last one. Yeah. The last one that I have is from Chibnall himself, and he says, I hope you can expect everything you've always loved about Doctor Who. You can expect oh. emotion. <laughs> you can expect emotion. You can expect action and adventure and monsters and far-off planets and huge alien vistas. You can expect a lot of humor, a lot of warmth, and some great characters. Get out. <laughs> yeah. But notice he doesn't say quality. <laughs> They sound like things I expect from other franchises. I don't know what else you want from television. That's absolutely not what we got. Some of the locations were all right. We've got big alien vistas, but... <laughs> we got the vistas. I'm more used to small rooms in Doctor Who than big alien vistas. Win- I'm not sure what you meant. Windows vistas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. 
some of this, uh, some of the series was all right. Uh, yeah. And even some of Chibnall's episodes were all right. But uh, uh, I, I, I don't care what anyone says. I enjoyed um, Arachnids. I did. But that's only. Yeah, um, you would. I'm pretty sure the only reason I like Arachnids is because it's basically the Green Death. And I stole on that point. I know. I don't. Whoever said that? Mm-hmm. It is. It is the Green Death. Yeah. And I quite like the Green Death. Without the marriage point. Some of you episodes are all right. Don't come into BBC tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Neo. I'm not saying that. Or the next year, in fact. What oh, I've kind of realized, this is a little bit of a hot take, maybe. Do it. Uh, series 11 makes me appreciate class. Yes. Oh, damn. Yeah. I know what you mean. I've appreciated class since the beginning. I still haven't seen it. You can see the vision that uh, Patrick Ness had, and he kind of commit to it. Like, he, it just feels like everything had so much more thought put into it, and everything was always kind of driving and you know it was full of like high school melodrama and like you know th- there's a kind of a reason that people don't really remember it at all but i still think like i think he would be a better well i don't know maybe not so uh, you, i think that might come on the turf though the the drama because it's set in a it's set in a literal high school so not a high school so college or what which is it a high school. It's a, comp, it's a, it's a high yeah, school. school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's Coal Hill, isn't it? A comprehensive. Uh, so Col- it's like everything. Yeah, yeah. They, they they rebrand Coal Hill. It's set in that environment, so it makes sense that it would have all of the genre trappings that follow into these kind of things. It does, but it's like sometimes like the relationship between uh, what's his face Charlie and uh, Matthews. It's like sometimes it kind of felt like a soap opera. Like it was um, just a little bit too much into like the just straight out melodrama and like I not think- acting like real people. I've not seen any class, so can someone just um, say if this is good or not? Is the dragon episode any good? Like the, the tattoo, is that any good? That's the second episode. Oh. That one's decent, I think. Because I really like that idea, like a sentient tattoo. I think that's really cool. X-Files did it. I would like to go on the record and say it's the worst episode of the series. Oh, really? Yeah, that, that's... Yeah, maybe. So I've got one it's really good and then one it's really bad. So it's all right. Like my least favorite is the finale, personally. So, which also, which is the episode where I've seen the web M of the her getting her eye done in. Oh, that's the second last one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is is the visuals as good as that? Like, that's not really terrible, but it's not fantastic. Is it like that the whole time? Yeah, it's more or less that. that level. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I will give it a what I gave um, the first episode about 10, 15 minutes, and I just sort of went, nah, sorry. It's not. It's not for me. I mean, I can see why people would enjoy it, but it's just not my cup of tea. I think the individual characters in class have more going for them than the companions do in series eleven. Oh, absolutely. In terms of like the writer giving you the marks and stuff. Yeah, and Miss Quill would make a better doctor, I think. I was um when they were talking about it being cancelled, they were saying, "Oh, we have plans for series two about the Weeping Angels and their home planet." Oh, I thought, <laughs> no, I'm so glad this didn't get made because that yeah. would have fucked it up so bad. I think the least, the less we know about these fucking statues is is the best. It's for better. I watched yeah, someone no, react to Blink the other day for the first time, and I thought that is such a good fucking story. It's not the, I don't think it's the best he's written, but I think for that period when that was like the at the end of series three and backwards, that is such a good story, and it's almost a, not a Doctor Who story. I think it's like yeah. peripherally a story. Um, I I think that the people saying that you should show Blink to people to get them into Doctor Who, that's really 
really. It's not a good idea, I don't think. It's, it's a stress. Honest. Oh. Yeah. Um, if you want to show them it as an episode which doesn't exactly revolve around the Doctor themselves, then yeah. maybe, but not um, not as an episode of what Doctor is like, because that's not what it's like at all. I think... Um, you have a power. Yeah. The Moffat horror stories, when he wasn't showrunner, I think are really, really good. Uh, they're not, again, they're not his best stories, but I really didn't like them on airing, but not because they were bad, because they were terrifying. Mm. I genuinely um, wanted to skip every Moffat episode when it was airing, because I thought, no, nah, I don't want to get nightmares, it's terrifying. Um, I got nightmares of the the weeping angel face, the, the, the screaming one. Yeah. I had nightmares of the dark and the Vashonarada when I was younger. Um, I didn't have any... The empty child? No, I didn't. I don't have any empty... I don't really like the empty child. That's my hot take. It, it's oh. a horror story. It's just not my... I don't like it that much. I see what it's doing, but um, not really. The girl in the fireplace, either. It's, a, it's an alright story, but it, it's horror. Right. It's horror bits on as prominent as some of the other stories. I think that's why. <clears throat> what if we, as a collective group, what if we all pitch in to fix um, uh, Let's Kill Hitler? Can you ask that question again? I didn't hear you. Oh, sorry. That's right. What if we, as a collective like group project, what if we all went and um, basically pitched in to fix Let's Kill Hitler. In what regard? It would be fixed. Yeah, how would you fix it? Are we going to record an audio? (laughs) Start again? Uh, Record an audio and make it better. (laughs) Uh, Why don't we actually have them kill Hitler? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Just shift it to 1945. (laughs) And then Crasco comes back to save him. Oh, wow. Oh, that is- <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. I like that's that idea. Oh, I love that. That's great. And then at the end, the Testament uh, captures his soul while uh, the uh, Thajarians watch. <laughs> and then really shitty music plays over the top. No, no, no. It was it was a Moffat era episode. So oh, yeah. It'd oh, be, um, dun, 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 yeah. I Am The Doctor starts playing. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's great. Okay, we're approaching two hours. I feel like we should start coming towards our big. Yeah, I was say we're on one forty-six for me. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's still that's still longer than any previous podcast. Should we start bringing yeah. towards our sort of concluding thoughts, especially in the context of them, the year gap that got announced immediately after the episode finished? Fine. Where do you think? They did not wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where does that put us now, like as fans, as people? We have the canine series to look forward to. I'm gonna, We're big Finnish fans now. I'm I'm gonna try and listen to some audios, and I'm gonna probably watch in a marathon all of who. I mean, I've seen all of it before, but I'm gonna watch from the beginning. Didn't we try that at one point, and we got to like the, the very middle of Hartnell and just fucking gave up? Yeah. For um, for me, I do have some closing thoughts, and that would basically be. You really don't want to repeat the same mistakes Moffat made in his last year. And what were those? What were those? Gap, the gap year. Oh, okay. oh I see. Oh, oh, right. last year. Yeah. I really enjoyed series 10, but it just didn't get 
the credit that it deserved. No. Yeah. It was never going to, I don't think. It was always going to be like, yeah. nah, this is shit now. We need to like have a five-year break or something. It was going to be the uh, resurrection of the... Uh, not resurrection, sorry. Wow. Uh, remembrance of the Daleks. It's wonderful and everybody should watch it, but nobody did. I no. I, I don't think Re- Remembrance is the best story of the series. I can't remember what the stories are, actually. If, but... um, me neither. I think I think Greatest Show is actually the best episode of yeah, the Yeah, I do season. as well. I really like I, Greatest Show. I really think Greatest Show should have been the last episode of this uh, classic series. Was Ghostlight in that? No, I think... Um, well, you know what my opinion on 26 is. So I don't need to say that again. I think it's fucking brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. From the beginning of Battlefield to the end of Survival, I think it's perfect. As for me, looking back on Series 11, looking ahead to the hiatus. Looking forward to it as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to the statement. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a hiatus. The actors are out of work or scared of losing their job. The special's just an episode's worth. The BBC's going bust. Chibnall keeps a gun under his pillow. Trips are running wild in the thread and there's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do and there's no end to it. We know that Chib is unfit to write and the show is unfit to watch. And we sit watching our TVs while some BBC newscaster tells us that this year there's no Christmas and next year there's an hour-long special as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad. Worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everyone everywhere is going crazy so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my Who and my Kino and my Big Finish audio plays and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to riot. I don't want you to write to your MP because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the hiatus and the Brexit and the Russians and the crime in the streets. All I know is that first you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being, goddammit. My life has value. So I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up off your computer. I want you to leave the thread right now and go to the window. Open it and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell and I'm not going to watch this anymore. I'm probably not going to do that. Bravo. I'm not going to mess with my MP because she's a right knob. Honestly, I don't, uh, you know, I don't watch the show anyway, so I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Because I don't think anyone will do that. I have one more thought. I go on. Which is not going to top that. But you know how 13 swings her arm around in like a circle when she's pointing Sonic? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that's what Jodie meant when she said that there was character arcs this season? <laughs> <laughs> that's what we got in. Let's all introduce ourselves. So, hello, I'm Ingiga. Someone else go. Hi, I'm Hunter. Hi. I'm, no- uh, I'm Skelly. Fucked <laughs> 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 it up already, guys. Perfect. That's it. That's it. Um, we're using that. Okay. Has everyone gone? 
So yeah, somewhere much. in there. Okay, let's start talking about Doctor Who. We have to. <laughs> <laughs> well. Denza with the Denza. And then the, the, the male ox in this one was called Delph. Yeah. And Gasus has the Gelf. Good spot. Oh, yeah. I think you're reaching there. And there's the Spenza and the Tenza as well. Exactly. I, I don't think it was the Gelf in this case. I think it was just a reference to Greece, the Oracle at Delphi. Same, yeah. Maybe, I, yeah. I feel like. Andy Neo feels like it's reaching for something too. I can't quite, I can't quite grasp it in my head right now because I'm running on two hours of sleep and several milligrams of oxycodone. But <laughs> I started watching ten minutes into the episode. I didn't even see that bit. Oh, that's much. fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought that uh, Delph was really, really cute. Yeah. That's about it. Yeah, well, cool. no, there's some other parts I kind of liked, but those were my favorite parts. I forgot which one Delph was. He's the black kid. The boy, the male. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, like okay. you, but like you, Neil, so I am a homosexual. No, I... I would say eight out of the ten episodes aired were phenomenal. Oh, wow. That's Eight. a good take. I like that. Wow. It's a lot, man. What were the two that didn't do it for you? Which ones Which ones aren't the phenomenal ones? Uh, the first one and the one we're reviewing. Oh, so the, the oh, wow. tail end of the series. So you like everything else in between? Yeah. Yeah, okay, fair yeah. enough. Let's, I, I'll, I'll accept that take. I'm I don't agree with it, but I'll accept it. seconds. In eternity. I think still might be a metaphor for something. I'm not quite sure what. Okay, sorry. Uh, what? Yeah, I, I saw a, t- um, a tweet on Twitter, obviously. Uh, I'm scaly. <laughs> At least the plot kind of made sense. And Gasus has the guilt. I'm more of a theological type myself. I'm running on two hours of sleep and several milligrams of oxycodone. Okay, here's here's a little bit of a controversial one. I don't care about any other character in this series apart from Graham. Sorry, not sorry. We know, Nilsa. So, does that mean they have exactly 31 cryopods conveniently for everyone? I started watching 10 minutes into the episode. I didn't even see that bit. Like you, Nilsa, I am a homosexual. I was going to respond to my own question. It reminds me of something that I believe is attributed to Raymond Chandler, which is the... Logopolitan? Logopolis. Can I bring up something real quick? Yeah, go this is a little bit of a hot take maybe do it because there are some people post that have in my opinion very hot takes what did he mean by that i would have said ditzy so i have a bunch of quotes that they used to promote this series before it started i was gonna go somewhere with that but i'm not sure where so don't worry about it i'm the only one who liked the class audios you might be the only one who's listened to the class audios all, all the normal seem to like yeah. series 11 makes me appreciate class i'll rise up i'll rise like a wave i think whenever it goes da, 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 or something like that i think that's what it is it sounds like that <laughs> But they're just like, nah, sorry, racist. I'm like, oh, fantastic, brilliant. I hope you can expect everything you've always loved about Doctor Who. I'd have liked to have seen a return to the Sonic Screwdriver where it's got a way put into the whole bit. I mean, I know that for some people that's a 
big thing is how the doctors hold their sonics. Yeah, it's great. Brilliant at school. I'm so glad. What if we all send to fix? Let's kill Hitler. Crasco comes back to save him. <laughs> Coming out the top instead of it just being the sword. Um, Ingiga? Is that how you pronounce it? I'm as mad as hell and I'm not gonna watch this anymore. Personally, I enjoy Death of Dalek. Some of you Gig? Is that you? I came the long way round. Uh, um, uh. The Battle of Ranskor Av Kolos. What was it? What's so important you would endure that podcast so long? It doesn't matter what the Battle of Ranskor Av Kolos was. It only matters that I convinced them to talk about it for an hour and a half. Otherwise, there'd have been no podcast. I'd have had no way to cross over. What were you crossing over for? What do you think? You! I had to find a way to save you. I knew it had to be the Chibnall that lured you into the Chibnall plane, and I was going to bring you back. I just had to hang on in there for a bit. How long? It was fine. It's a recruiting video. One question, and you will answer. How long was Gig trapped inside that podcast with Mirrors, Nacho, Nilso, Skelly, and Hunter? And that's all this year is. This whole year. Well, if he says so. I mean, he'd know about taking year-long breaks. Why would you even do that? I was gone. It took me away. Why would you even do that to yourself? I had a duty of care. Specifically, I had a duty of who cares. Episode 10, The Battle of Ranskor Alcolos. Stop, hold on. You can't end it like that. It would be almost as anticlimactic as the actual episode. What about the glorious sing-along? We can't do the glorious sing-along because hardly anyone fucking volunteered to sing. Nobody wants to hear me, you, Mirrors and Tom Tit in some kind of barbershop quartet. There should have been another way. It feels wrong to go out like this when Doctor Who itself is dead. We don't even know how we're going to get out of here. Let's not be too fatalistic. Maybe the special will answer that question. After all, none of us know for sure what's out there. That's why we keep watching. Keep your faith. Wait hopefully. Doctor Who will surprise you constantly. hopefully. Oh, fuck, we didn't even bring that up.
Uh, yeah, you really gotta stop baiting to all that uh, gay porn. <laughs>